0: To that, that's spiritual stuff. I'm serious, man. We are Hottest 100s and Thousands, and we have taken control of your radio station. This is the podcast, where we talk about the songs that have been deemed hot enough to be in the Triple J, Hottest 100. My name is David James Young. I'm one of the four voices you're going to be hearing for the next hour. Or so joining me once again, Nathan Harrison. Hi. Adam Bunger. Hi. And as always, your friend and mine, the incomparable Andrew McDonald. That's probably the nicest one you've given me there, David. No, right, and, and hang on, hang on, hang on. We,
1: we, no, why did he get an extended introduction? Look, man. Andrew, of all people. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs>
0: Look, Andrews had a had a rough go of it, you know. No, he hasn't. What's why? <laughs> he brought up earlier this season that he felt that he was oft ignored and not given uh, flourishing introductions. Uh, he also got incredibly bullied on Jackbox a few days ago. So oh, that was amazing. <laughs> yes, he really did. Okay. And also there was that one episode that
1: was the bully Andrew episode. And to be fair, there hasn't ever been oh, yeah. an episode that was called the bully
0: any other host uh, episode <laughs> yet. There's also the episode where we replaced him. Oh, yeah. I rem- oh, yeah. I remember that arc. He was in jail. Andrew
1: was in jail.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We got the same guy who replaced Old Mate in Gorillas. I think it was someone from the Powerpuff Girls.
2: Oh, yeah. It was um yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mojo or the
1: monkey guy, wasn't it? No, it was Ace from Powerpuff Girls. It was Ace. Yeah. Ah, Ace.
3: Yeah,
2: uh, Ace. yeah Ace. that's it.
1: Yeah. Holy shit. And this is somehow part of our canon. Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is a great podcast. Um, yeah. And everyone should listen to it. In fact... You, right now, well done.
0: (laughs) You're killing it. Yeah. Yeah. Doing your part. Yeah, you're doing the right thing. Give yourself a little uh, pat on the back. And you know what? You get to have a little new metal as a treat. (laughs) At number 40, this is Papa Roach with...
1: Cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. Suffocation.
0: Harper Roach coming in at number 40 in the hottest 100 of the year 2000, making their debut. This is the song Last Resort. It comes from their debut album, which I have forgotten the name of, but I am pulling up on Wikipedia right now. Invest! actually it was their second album so i fucked all of that up but that's completely fine if new metal teaches you anything it's that you can learn from your mistakes and grow and be a better person
1: that's why everyone who listens to new metal is such like self actualized people
0: <laughs> obviously there's a lot of, like, finesse that goes into it. Like, have you seen how intricate some of their beards are? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, it takes work. Yeah. Braided beards,
0: yeah. Yeah, exactly. We need
1: to really um, update Maslow's Pyramid of the Hierarchy of Needs or whatever, and it's just, like, self actualization and then
3: just one above that is braided beard, New beard, yeah. Hell yeah. As I've been growing my quarantine beard, I'm realising how much of a hassle it is having facial hair for the first time. So I've got to give the... The classic Andrew Doff of the hat.
0: Wait, wait, wait. More of a hassle than shaving all the time?
3: Yeah, for me it is, man. I, I much rather spend just a couple minutes in the shower with the razor than I would. Like, I had a soup yesterday and it was I had to wash my goddamn face. Um, I guess, question then, why don't you? I don't know, I, I'm committed to the bit, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, there definitely does come a point where you just kind of like, it would seem like a waste exactly. to
3: turn back now. And you've got to commit to the bit. It may be itchy and I don't really like how I look, but mm. i have always itchy and don't like how I look. So. <laughs> That's the secret, Captain. Yeah. So, Papa Roach. <laughs> Speaking of itchy and not looking good. Yeah, if
0: you have low self-esteem, you'll love Last Resort by Papa Roach. <laughs> Obviously, this is the band's signature song. This was a huge, huge hit around this time and one of the key tracks in terms of... Getting new metal into the, the stratosphere This was a seismic moment for rock music That has barely been touched on since Like it's been a hot minute Since any kind of rock music had a presence on mainstream radio Dude, imagine dragons
1: are on the line They want to work <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh yes, that noted rock and roll band That uh, I cannot hear a single guitar of whenever they play That's how you know it's rock Because they don't care
1: Imagine guitars Yeah <laughs>
0: Imagine if you will a guitar.
3: It all happens in the mind. <laughs>
2: you just have to picture it. Yeah, that's right. Imagine dragons are not about guitars, they're about rebellion.
3: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're instructing you to just simply imagine the guitars in your head and rotate them and ponder <laughs> the majesty of rock. <laughs> <laughs> Also, David, you said this was from their second, this Papa Roach song. Just to, sorry to sideline that conversation and yes. briefly talk about Papa Roach.
0: Yes, it's from Infest.
3: But it's also originally from the Ready to Rumble soundtrack. Do you yes, know this it
0: movie? is. Oh, intimately, my friend. Oh, please talk about it. Okay. Well, we're talking about the year 2000, and we can't talk about the year 2000 for me without talking about World Championship Wrestling, WCW. This was the World Wrestling Federation's top competitor. Their Monday night shows went head-to-head And for 83 weeks, WCW came out on top But after they started losing the ratings battle They were trying to do everything to get people to pay attention to them again This included a deal with Time Warner To promote a wrestling comedy that they had coming out Called Ready to Rumble Starring David Arquette and Oliver Stone they had David Arquette come on TV, and they had him come on WCW as a character, and the head writer for WCW at the time, Vince Russo, had a brilliant idea. He put David Arquette in a match, a tag team match to be specific, and whoever got the pin in this tag team match became the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Now, do you guys want to take a guess as to who scored the pinfall in this match? Arquette? You are correct, sir. Yeah. (laughs) David Arquette was legitimately the real WCW world heavyweight champion as an attempt to A, get ratings, and B, promote the movie Ready to Rumble. Which is a wrestling buddy comedy movie. Yes, it is. Oliver Stone plays the uh, bloated, washed-up former champion, and a bunch of WCW wrestlers uh, appear in the movie as well. It is... Pure, pure trash, and I love it. I think it's one of the dumbest, funniest fucking things. We loved this movie, my brother and I as kids, and we had no idea about the greater consequences of everything that was going on, but... uh yeah, needless to say, David Arquette winning the WCW title was a death knoll for the company and they went out of business within a year.
3: And uh, just the reason to bring that up, this song, its first release was on the soundtrack to read around It came out on the soundtrack before it came out as a single or on their own record. <laughs> so Papa Roach were also betting everything
2: on
1: David Arquette. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not wanting to, like, diverge this any further, but... I didn't know who David Arquette was. So just quietly while you guys have been telling the story and I've been listening attentively, I have also been Googling David Arquette. He's got some ventures, man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I know that because in his Wikipedia, he has a tab that says other ventures. (laughs) So apparently he's a fashion designer. Yep. Citation needed. And I would like to see what that entails. But (laughs) also, I just learned that David is a certified Bob Ross instructor.
0: Isn't that crazy?
1: As in the landscape painting technique where there are no mistakes. There are only happy accidents. It's a good thing to be an instructor for.
3: (laughs) Okay, I am as well now. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Oh Andrew, I see you were a bit uh, picky on that episode and you kept mumbling and having a bit of a stammer. It's okay. They weren't accidents. They were happy whatever it was. was (laughs) (laughs) And then you fuck fuck up the one thing that gets you out of everything. (laughs) Well, that was one of them. The proof is in the pudding. It's called praxis.
0: (laughs) Now- This song is obviously very, very of its time, you know, with the rapped vocals and the big, big chorus that everyone knows. Like, from the second this song starts, everyone immediately knows this song. The thing that glues the whole thing together for me is that riff. There were so many kids at high school that tried to learn that riff.
1: And the best thing about that is that, like, it's just hard enough to fuck up in a hilarious enough way Yeah but-
0: dude it's some, it's some solid intermediate shit
1: <laughs> <laughs> On that riff though Fan bases for either of these bands Have remarked that Papa Roach's Last Resort Bears a striking resemblance to the Iron Maiden song Genghis Khan Uh The band denies ripping this off because they weren't into Iron Maiden at all at the time when they composed this. Later on, the band got into Iron Maiden and heard the song and they just were like, oh yeah, legit. Like, of course it sounds like an Iron Maiden riff. Like, it sounds like every Iron Maiden riff.
0: Yeah, they were very offended. They were just like, what are you talking about? None of our songs sound like Iron Maiden, which is funny because the next on the album goes... Yeah, look, I understand it's a little naff and I understand that it's very, very dated. But yeah, there's just something about this track that has obviously stood the test of time and people still really get around this, man. This was two years ago, uh, start of 2018, I believe it was. A friend of mine who's a publicist was just like, we're just giving away a bunch of door spots to Papa Roach. Do you want to come? And I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. And then I texted friend of the show, Jack Riley, and I said, hey, man, do you want to come see Papa Roach tonight? And he, too, in spirit, went, you know what? Fuck it. We legitimately were just like, man, this could be an absolute train wreck. And by the end of the night, we were just like, that was sick. We had so much fun. The best part was... They played a new song, and we were just like, man, this sounds like a, another wrestling song. And literally months later, it became the new theme song for Monday Night Raw. Ha, ha, great. On brand. Very on brand.
1: You have to pay it, though. Like, they started in 1993 when they were all in high school and whatever. Yeah. And they are still releasing new albums and and still kicking around today. There's been several changes of style, which I'm not aware of because, of course, I only listened to Infest, the other This Is From, when I was in high school and have not touched them since. But, like, you have to pay them for for keeping that longevity and, and still, like... Touring and selling out enough to to be able to do that, I guess.
3: This song, David, as you said, it's it's only of its time, and it's like not like in today, it's just absolutely not for me. But like, I feel kind of bad to bully this song. It's so, in its own way, utterly sincere, hard on your sleeve, suicidal ideation, core that, like, I'm sure some Midwest white guys who were sincerely depressed, heard this and felt a sincere connection to it, right? Like, I'm sure that fucking happened. and a
2: catharsis, yeah. Totally. Like, someone has, has like, really found solace and comfort in this song and that's helped them. And that's, like, mind-boggling
3: to me. Uh, but But it's, like, it's legit. It's so not for me or you either, Nathan, but, like, the fact that you know that some, like, sad teenagers have heard this and felt a little bit less alone which sounds so fucking highfalutin to talk about with the goddamn Papa Roach song. But that, but that kind of is the case.
1: Is that not the mission statement for New Metal in general that we've been uncovering? Yeah, it's, it's
3: the catharsis for alienated
1: teens. 100%, like particularly ones suffering from personal issues or family issues. Or trauma kind of resulting from that yeah that core has kind of remained the same across corn slipknot papa roach like the whole lot it's all there
3: uh some choice uh youtube comments that i saw on this song there was some crackers one of them saying um listen to this during my corona quarantine 2020 the perfect choice <laughs> uh, what <laughs> hell yeah brother <laughs> Obviously there's a bunch of people who want to be weird owl saying, um, cut my frog into pieces. This is my lab report.
0: Oh yeah, there's been so many of those. Okay, yeah, here's the thing. Last resort
1: definitely did become a meme, which it's absolutely rife for because it's nostalgic, it's immediately recognizable, and it's way too sincere in its original form. So of course it's going to be turned into a meme. But I'm I'm really yet to see any good last resort memes. And I'm putting the challenge out there in case anyone has actually seen it. There are a lot of really bad last resort memes.
3: There's one here from YouTube that I think has a, a semblance of what could be good cut my pants into pieces these are my homemade shorts and i think if you just change shorts <laughs> to shorts <George, laughs> yeah not bad not that bad. would be
1: a all right that's, that's the right. first good one i've heard well done
3: yeah yeah that's got legs i like that <laughs> another comment that i thought was great so i was saying i want to see an actual roach sing this song maybe one day i can see my dream come true <laughs> <laughs> wow we have the that's technology <laughs> maybe do we know why
1: the band is called Papa Roach?
3: They're dumb. No, It's a huge roach, like a Kafkaesque nightmare. <laughs> that, <laughs> oh that, that is correct. It's, in German, it's actually Papa Vermin. What? That was a very specific joke about the various translations of Kafka's metamorphosis and how roach isn't a really great direct translation and it's closer to vermin, but nothing like showing you working for a joke to make it so funny. Yeah, but it was the working of...
1: A translation of Kafka. That's the joke you just made. Sounds good. Yes. And you and you wonder why we bully you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Damn, son. So at the time, the band in high school were listening to a lot of funk, and that's why they were like, yeah, well, we're going to call it Papa something. And they originally wanted to call it Papa Gatto, after a nickname for a guy called Ponyo Sanchez, who was a Latin percussionist. Mm. But the singer of Papa Roach, Jacoby Shaddix, a.k.a. Toby Dick. Kobe Dick. He had a grandfather whose last name was Roach. And he thought, um, hey, why don't we name it after him instead? And it, the rest of the band was, and I quote, haha, you mean like weed? So it stuck. <laughs> wow. Yee yee. In terms of band names for a new metal band, could you get much better than Papa Roach? No, man. <laughs> it says everything you need, right? It just communicates this idea of new metal so well. It fucking works we talked about how big this song was but like it was legitimately huge Infest as an album was an absolute breakout hit this was their first release after they signed to DreamWorks and a lot of the tracks were actually re-recordings of previous songs that they'd done in fact I think out of the 11 track album there were only three newly written songs which is the song that eventually became Between Angels and Insects Blood Brothers, which was later featured on the Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 soundtrack. um, And another song called uh, Never Enough. I found it really interesting that these guys signed to DreamWorks in 2000. And I wonder how close we came to living in a world where Papa Roach were featured on the Shrek soundtrack. Why are you following me? I'll tell you why. Cut my life into pieces. The- it's no wonder you don't have any friends.
0: Oh, dude. They should have been the ones to cover I'm a Believer. <laughs> I loved
1: this song when I was in high school. I don't think I would have loved it as much if I wasn't already obsessed with Rage Against the Machine and looking for literally anything that bared any resemblance to that. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Nathan's been silent this entire time, so I, I, I know he's been building up like a Kamehameha. No, I just
2: I mean I don't know what else to say like it's 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 not a good song. There we go. It's fine and I I feel bad like bullying a song that's that's probably helped some people when they're feeling low but it's just like this this kind of music is boring and its emotions are like
1: juvenile and and I can't Muster up the energy to connect with it I don't know I definitely think Listening back to it now I've heard everything I need of the song Once I've had the opening line And the riff once Yeah totally Because like You get into the verses And in their own words Apparently the guys were listening to a lot of Wu-Tang At the time There's something about the staccato kind of flow That they're embodying But man like There are some big gaps You can all of a sudden He'll just like Stop rapping for a while
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think if you're a White rapper Saying that you've been listening to, quote, heaps of Wu-Tang is a really easy way to try and get a little bit of cred that costs
3: nothing. <laughs> Nathan, I thought you were going to say, it's a really easy way to try and get the N-word passed. <laughs> 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 Don't worry, i I listen to heaps of the
1: Gizza. It's all right. <laughs> But I agree with what you're saying, Nathan. Like, it it really does. Once it's played its hand, it doesn't really ever move from there. It just kind of remains on that one dimension and that one note.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, honestly, I think the the chorus. If you doubled the drums, it almost sounds like Pennywise. The kind of chord progression huh. of the chorus when everything kind of kicks in away from the riff. Yeah,
0: yeah, I see what you mean.
2: But it's just not an interesting song. And I think I think there's something weird about. It's not just the new metal thing, but obviously new metal latched onto it a lot. This this kind of song where you're like. I'm a young person, I'm in pain, no one listens to me or whatever. That message is obviously good and trying to communicate the difficulties of young people is an important goal. But there's part of me that's like, it's a failed goal from the start if it's going to sound like this. I think there's something <laughs> in songs like this that that have an underlying message of like, why won't my parents listen to me? They don't respect me. And I think that message persisting through music like this is kind of doomed to fail because no parent is ever going to connect to their child through this music. And that's also stylistically an intentional thing. Like bands like Slipknot and Corn and whatnot are never trying to bridge a gap between kids and their parents. If anything, they're trying to drive them further apart. But then when you get songs that that have a message that kind of sounds like it is trying to build a bridge, that feels like it's at odds with the music. If that makes sense. And I'm not saying like all new metal is trying to like reconnect fathers and sons. And it's it's a failure because it's not sounding like Steely Dan. That would be very impressive if it was. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Every band's fronted by Dr. Phil. But there's something about songs like this that I think on the surface present themselves as like trying to reach out. But they will never actually be more
1: than an insular thing. I think it's just the aim is purely catharsis though.
3: Yeah, that's what I reckon. You're
1: already feeling this thing. Let's shine a light on it. Let's give it words because you can't kind of find any for yourself right now. And then we're going to back that with a whole heap of energy. So you can just kind of like express this without having this self-awareness to be able to express anything for yourself. We're going to shortcut you to the release. And then hopefully once the song is done, you've at least got all the fruits of having that moment of self-awareness and that moment of self-expression for yourself you get to the end and you're like... Yeah. Okay, uh, that's that's out. I think that's a good point. It's just a moment for the listener and the band. I definitely hear what you're saying about it not expanding outwards and creating any connection or change outside of that. But I think realistically that probably wouldn't happen at all anyway. If you're feeling disenfranchised by these people who are supposed to be the people who are closest to you, that channel isn't open And the best you can kind of do, I think, is maybe just, like, do the work yourself. And this is probably a great way to do that or or to a a great tool in in order to help you do that.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of merit to this music. It's just it gets overlooked a lot because, you know, it's coming from dudes with goatees and electric shock hair and sleeve tattoos and all that sort of shit. Like, (laughs) looking at it now, it is wild to think that this was stuff that was taken seriously. Well, I think it's really
1: easy for people who have moved past that point in their life to dismiss the pain of adolescence and of youth. Yeah. Because it is is so rooted in, in that time and that place and whatever. And once you've moved past it, you realize like, okay, like my brain was doing certain things at that time that was entirely like just out of my control and just part of living through that age. Yeah. But when you're in the middle of it, like- It feels huge, yeah. You are just trying to cope as much as you can. So I think, like, perhaps it's it's kind of cruel and a little bit unjustified to to judge that too much, even though it's super easy to.
3: For me, it's kind of like, even I talk to my younger self, like, buddy, you think you're fucking not having a good time now. Like, <laughs> yeah. wait, let me fucking tell you. But
1: realistically, like, what that just reveals is just, like, there's going to be unhappiness in your condition just as a human- it just takes on different forms and there are different things that you need to express and there are different things that you need to be soothed on. Yeah. And there are different genres that are more adept at doing that. You have to grow into feeling the particular feelings that the national convey. And chances are that if you're connecting with that, it's going to be a lot harder to resonate as often with, you know, Limp Biscuit or Slipknot or Papa Roach.
0: As we all know, Fred Durst laid down the foundations for what would become the National. Absolutely.
3: (laughs) Papa Roach walked so the National could run.
0: Get the OG shit. I will not.
3: Let's just move on to the next song. I'm sure it's a happy one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) At number 39, it's the return of Placebo with Taste in Men. Nom, 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 nom. (laughs) Men are tasty Men are part of this nutritious breakfast
1: (laughs) Placebo can have a little men as a treat
0: That's just bisexuals by nature (laughs) Yeah in at number 39 in the 2000 Hottest 100, that is the song Taste in Men. All right, Adam? Yes? You've gone on a journey with this band over over the times that we've talked about them. Where does that journey take you for the song Taste in Men?
1: Well, I think this connects really easily into what we were talking about being the mission statement of black market music. The last time we talked about them placebo had said that they really wanted to play with a lot of different genres and a lot of different experimentation in the same way that new metal was, but they just wanted to do that in a way that didn't embody, like, uh, the misogyny or the capitalism that they saw within that genre. Um, So here you have What If Nine Inch Nails But Gay. (laughs) (laughs) End of my story of the song. (laughs) That's pretty much it.
3: And also, like, you're right, Mick, this is the first track on black market music and it really sets the scene for what the record's going to be. Totally, especially because you've come from previous placebo outings
1: that were kind of guitar driven, right? Mm. And now you've got this kind of like almost synthy kind of bass as the first thing that you kind of hear followed by absolutely massive percussion and then that kind of sampled noise guitar coming in. It's a huge sounding song. And like from the outset, big shout out to Paul Corkett who did the production for this album because I think he's the star here. Everything has such a spaciousness and a hugeness around it and it's so particular. I don't love Brian on this. Could stand to be like 30% less, Brian. <laughs> um, Pull it back a bit. Mm. Yeah, like the song could probably work just as well if it was an instrumental, simply because all the instrumental parts sound so good. I certainly find listening to
2: it, I'm not paying as much attention to him as I am, sort of just getting lost in the rest of the song, like in a really good way.
1: It would be worse if he tried to do anything more than what he does, which is just kind of like repeat those kind of sing songy, nursery rhymey mantras. That he does throughout the course of the song, yeah. And to be fair, like what Brian and those lyrics really do add to it is the queering and the communication of that same placebo sexual kind of nihilism that they always kind of have. So that's kind of essential to the to the whole agenda of what they're playing with at the time. It really does communicate this idea of like being absolutely out of your mind just kind of like fucked up beyond belief and and longing for someone and just like being absolutely in need, which is, again, like a very placebo state. I think a lot of their songs kind of sit in that place as well.
0: Incredibly
3: fucked up, incredibly horny.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, the Kinsey scale pretty much blows up every time you're listening to placebo.
3: The YouTube video for this, a lot of horny comments. Oh, mate,
0: (laughs) I can only imagine.
3: Placebo are horny on main Oh yeah Yeah people just being like The only man I have taste in Is Brian
1: (laughs) (laughs) Out of control And in need Is I think Where Placebo lives Listening to this song I kind of Drew some parallels To a few other tracks There is a really strong link To Radiohead's National Anthem From Kid A Oh I can
0: kind of I can kind of see
1: that You know in the way It's kind of like Very percussively driven And kind of out of control And also weirdly In the way that it kind of Builds from the intro I got a real How soon is now Vibe from it Oh,
0: uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, this song's centred pretty much on that G, just kind of always coming back to that one sort of chord, whereas How Soon Is Now always comes back to that F sharp and then having the the arpeggiation going at the start of Taste in Men as well. It, it's, again, an experimentation in basically trying to keep the focus on one chord as much as possible, which is also what they did with Pure Morning, which is what we talked about previously. Mm. Just staying in that same melodic wheelhouse for the whole time, like there are little like variations and melodies and stuff like that. But for the most part, they really focus in on that G and just really kind of drive that home in terms of the groove, which makes it really interesting. Yeah, it's
1: true. It is very, very similar to Pure Morning. Pitchfork actually criticised this song as being like a poor man's Pure Morning. They
3: really didn't like it. Mm. Also, the, the groove, that bass line, it's pretty much lifted from the Pink Floyd song Let There Be More Light from 1968.
1: Oh, really? Ah.
3: Yeah. If you compare the placebo bass line, Adam put the bass line here. And compare it with the Pink Floyd one. Quite similar, but very good. It also bears a resemblance to Iron Maiden's The
0: True...
1: The thing that everyone's really horning for is ripping off Iron
0: Maiden. (laughs) (laughs) But you'll also note that it sounds nothing like this. Adam put the Seinfeld bass theme here. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, just leave me saying Adam put the Seinfeld bass theme here, because that just makes it even funnier.
3: Other things this um, kind of listener as always, I think it's very cool. The phrase that come back to me a while that he says in it, taken from Sonic Youth's Catholic Block, the great song from their terrific record, Sister.
0: I was not aware of that. Yeah, right.
3: In general, I think this is definitely placebo sounding like placebo for the, for the time. It's not as thesis statement-y and big as like fucking everything in its right places from last week's chat, but it kind of sets the tone of what the record's going to be like. I can see where people fuck with this. I don't think it was a V for the B. A lot of critics say it's like a perfect placebo song because it encapsulates a lot of their sound at this time. Like, I don't fuck with that, but I think the song is a bop. The bassline is terrific. Again, Brian's not in as essential form as he is here in some other things, but, like, it's still, he still sounds like Brian and I, I always like hearing his voice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's essential to the placebo identity. And I'd definitely put this song in a short list if I was making a placebo playlist,
0: so... Well, here's the thing for me, right? When I first heard this, I had to double check that this wasn't a remix just because of the overwhelming like synth drive and that kind of bass synth sound and how like processed the drums were and stuff like that. And how much of like a dancey kind of groove there was to this. For a band that was ostensibly an alt-rock band that was kind of kicking off in the late 90s, for them to kind of, quote-unquote, go dance, it almost feels like they're like Rolling Stones' miss you kind of moment in a way. I love that they were confident enough to kind of pursue that. It wasn't like out of character for the era. You got to remember, like, this is the black and neon green matrix, hacker, leather coat kind of era, and this very much... Factors into that whole sound for me. So, yeah, I pay that. Yeah. You ent- you enter the Matrix listening to this song.
3: This is a real swordfish soundtrack.
0: Oh, motherfucking swordfish. <laughs> swordfish, man, it's coming back. <laughs> it's <laughs> definitively not coming back. <laughs> it's coming back, man. It's not. It's a bad
3: movie. <laughs> the pivot that's more like up there, David, it, uh, certainly is a notable change on the kind of thing, but I think it's certainly on brand for a band who are so indebted like 80s post-punk music true. to turn to a bit more danceable kind of thing is absolutely so in like lockstep and groove for a band that fucks heavily with 80s goth and post-punk shit.
0: Kind of throws back a little bit to that whole kind of Manchester kind of vibe as well. Yeah,
3: absolutely absolutely.
0: Where it's just like we're rock bands but we're like super into dance music as well, you know.
3: We're rock bands but we have MDMA addiction problems
0: (laughs) (laughs) And How? Uh, Nathan, what's uh, what's your take? Yeah,
2: I mean, like I said, I, Brian is not the star of this song for me, and that's good because, like you're saying, Adam, I think he probably could rein it back a bit, but I think it's just a really good kind of industrial version of Placebo. Like, it sounds great. It's very, um, you know, the the great um, Lollapalooza episode of The Simpsons where everyone in the crowd is kind of just doing that really disaffected swaying. It's big time getting my disaffected sway on, just getting lost in that groove of it. They do a really... Cool job of taking those nine-inch nails sounds and and making it a bit more placebo. And number
0: thirty-eight, this is Gomez with Machismo. making their debut. In the Triple J Hottest 100 Coming in at number 38 In the 2000 countdown That's the song Machismo It comes from the EP of the same name This is a band That is probably still touring Australia In some way, shape or form (laughs) As we speak They do not seem to have ever left the country Since they first started coming here In the late 90s If you haven't seen Gomez live You know at least three people who have (laughs) And if they haven't seen Gomez Gomez live, they've seen at least either Ian Ball or Ben, their uh, other lead singer, live because they spend. A lot of fucking time here.
1: Honestly, Ollie Peacock is in my house right now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes sense. He's isolating with us. He was just here at the exact wrong time. Mm. He keeps asking for machismo. I don't know what that is. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, he's also into that spiritual stuff. Before
2: this all happened, they were doing their uh, 10-year anniversary of their 2010 anniversary tour
0: yeah <laughs> they're nostalgic for their anniversary tours like yeah. that's how many they've done now <laughs> no joke i'm pretty sure they were here in like november Yeah, checks out they come here a lot
2: you know how like decades ago they had the the 10 pound poms to help uh, english people migrate to australia more i think gomez is just an updated version of that
3: <laughs>
0: yeah pretty much yeah totally
3: Well man was a 10 pound pom <laughs>
0: true true your what was a what now
3: 10 pound pond for 10 bucks you could move from the uk to australia can't beat those prices no
0: (laughs) you definitely can't you really can't now nathan the million dollar question right here and right now is are you into that that spiritual stuff um not really as as a man of science (laughs) i i
2: you know generally am not Gomez are a band that I've never been able to crack, and I think it wasn't long before I ran out of motivation to try. Like you were saying before, I have a lot of friends that love Gomez and, you know, have a lot of fondness and affection for all of their music throughout the various styles and, and shifts that the band has gone through, and you know, really love seeing them every few weeks when they tour Australia. <laughs> like I, I listen to how we operate a bit. But certainly past that, I've never really been able to find the spark in in Gomez that was really exciting for me. And even this song, like, so this was off a uh, off the EP, which came um, between their second and third albums. It's definitely that kind of electronica-influenced indie rock with some sample work. and And even, like, those elements are things that I quite often find myself drawn to. But this song, I'm like... Yeah, it's okay I just don't see the excitement in it And, like, Gomez won the Mercury Prize for their debut album Like, Oh
1: my god Do you know who they won it going up against? Uh Who? Okay Other nominees for the Mercury Prize in 1998 Pulp, This Is Hardcore Uh-huh Whoa The Verve, <laughs> Urban Hymns Woof. And, most shockingly of all to me, Mezzanine by Massive Attack <laughs>
3: <laughs> and this what? What? So man. no, not this
2: Crazy this, th- Their first album This is a couple of years After they won the Mercury Prize
1: Was right. that for Bring It On? Yeah, they toured Bring It On recently <laughs> 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 That's wild <laughs> I mean, like I haven't heard Bring It On though Like So maybe I'm, I'm Sleeping on
0: Hindsight it Hindsight's 2020, man Like
2: <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's good to not win as well. Like, I mean, everyone always talks about Pulp Fiction not winning Best Picture, and that, I think, has done more for the the perception of it than winning it would have. Yeah. And then when, like, Bowie's Black Star didn't win the Mercury Prize that year, I think there was a really good at least people I talk to, a a good sense of, like, I think Bowie would not have wanted to win that. Um, You guys
1: like Gomez? Ollie's listening to me right now, so I can't say that I don't because (laughs) it'll just make my life intolerable. The thing I like mostly about it is that it's such a weirdo triple J song. Yeah, (laughs) man. It's really been a while since we've heard, like, an old-school triple J weirdo song, and I think this fits into it perfectly. It kind of reminds me of Beck. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Totally. With that with that loop and the sample,
1: yeah. Totally,
0: yeah.
2: Certainly so made me appreciate the craft and how interesting Beck's music is huh. just by comparison.
1: Sounds nothing like Iron Maiden, so No, yeah.
3: (laughs) Minus points for that.
1: Oh, this was on the soundtrack for Gone in 60 Seconds. Damn, son.
3: When it was coming on, I'm like, it's taking a little while for the vocals to start, but then everybody's the vocals aren't really the point of it or whatever. I guess this is nice enough post-brute pop kind of rhythmic-y, groovy stuff. It's way sparser than it could or perhaps should be to my ears, but like, I think this is nice enough music for like a stoned as hell Sunday afternoon, which sounds like it was probably written for and probably the conditions it was written under. It's just- innocuous enough I don't know it should be both bigger but it's fine that it's not the fact that someone would listen to this and be so hype on it is quite surprising to me that's it right like I don't think it's
2: bad but like so much of Gomez I've just never found whatever that is that that makes people really excited and it's cool that they have that because because Gomez is a band and so you get to have that they, they can enjoy that <laughs> yeah but it's just yeah I'm always left a bit confused
0: hmm so Adam talked earlier about Last Resort, where it's just like, I get everything I need out of that first bit and the riff and stuff like that. I think for the most part, I get the most out of that guitar loop and the sample. The verses make me drop off a little bit, but then as soon as it comes back in with the sample, I'm just like, yeah, fuck yeah. I feel like they don't kind of complement one another particularly for what they were doing up against, like, the genre that they were making. They were relatively experimental. Like, they were trying stuff like sampling and looping and and stuff like that. And the name was Folktronica, but it it sounds made up. But, like, legit, it was a whole thing for a little while there. And some good stuff came out of it. But um, I, at the very least, admire the fact that they attempted to kind of work outside of that immediate comfort zone. And as it turns out, there was, there was at least a little bit of gold in them uh, hills. These guys have a really cute uh, story
1: about how they got their name as well. Oh, was Gomez that right? Adams. They Gomez Adams, what?
3: From the Adams family. Who's Gomez Adams the patriarch of the Adams family oh my God <laughs> Adam's like well I'm, I'm in Adams family so I, I don't I don't have a Gomez so what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> the Adams family
1: <laughs> no okay well they they played their first gig together in 1996 at the Hyde Park Social Club they didn't have a name at the time but they what they did is they had a friend called Gomez and they had one of those so they left a sign out the front telling Gomez where the gig was. I don't know, maybe Gomez was not not quite on it. So they left a sign for Gomez anyway saying, Gomez in here. Uh, And people saw the sign and assumed that that was the band's name. That's very cute, actually. I like that. Gomez in here. And so they're
3: like, oh, uh, okay, I guess we're just Gomez now. I can't imagine like being in a band and then booking a gig and then they're like, what's your band name? And uh, you used to be like, we don't have one. And the promoter's like, okay. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, different time. Maybe
1: it was pretty easy to play the Hyde Park Social Club in Leeds in 1996. Different time. Shouts out to the Hyde Park Social Club in Leeds. I know you're listening. Drag them.
0: Folks, once again, it is time for Whose Song Is It Anyway? The show where all the songs are made up and the points don't matter. So, another song from the 1999 countdown has re-emerged and reared its ugly head in the 2000 countdown. That's three songs in this countdown, right? Yeah, Yeah. that's correct. Is this countdown a joke to them? I believe so. Who are these
2: (laughs) clowns? One song you'd be like, oh, sure, there were enough votes that were like, we'll let it in. Surely if three songs are going to get in, you'd be like, we can stop this. Yeah. There are other songs that have been voted for <laughs> yeah.
1: I think you're forgetting, Nathan, that this is the year 2000 And there was a little thing called Y2K We don't have records of the past anymore
3: yeah. True,
0: true, true Everything got wiped They they put three goddamn 1999 songs in the White House <laughs> yeah.
3: Is this countdown called Hottest Croc of Shit? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I <laughs> do have to say,
1: though, out of all the returning songs, this is probably the one that we'd be most pleased to see return, The Whitlam's. Yeah, um, yeah. Absolutely beautiful, wonderful song. Thank you for loving me at your. It's at a great worst. song. We all love this the song. The horns, just like, you know, yep. we had lots of very pleasant and great things to say about it in the great episode of the great podcast. Um, so you can go back and listen to that one.
0: But for now, let's go over to number 37. It's The Whitlam's with thank you for loving me. At my worst.
1: Right, the Whitlam's, we thank you for loving me. At my worst. Can I guess? Nathan, pl- I was really hoping that someone would do the the, the me thing. <laughs> I want to do the Adam guess, yeah. yeah, Awesome, yep. Go uh, ahead.
2: My, my Adam guess, uh, is it Third Planet by Modest Mouse? No, because I don't feel like feeling that much. <laughs> ah, what if it was, though? Oh, <laughs> great guess. You can't blame me for banking on you feeling that much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a lyric, can, man. Yeah, it's also just really apt drag of me (laughs) (laughs) damn son all right here we go but i still like to think that this song is on brand for me in a bit of a different way to go on so this is a signature song by a canadian artist released in 2000 though it is not their only hit fun fact about this song is that it's technically a live recording though this is not immediately obvious or well known now there's also no official video for the song but there are many many fan versions This artist has some pretty famous friends. They used to be the roommate of Feist, another fellow Canadian artist. And they are apparently responsible for encouraging MIA to make music for the first time. Now, the song itself is incredibly influential. For a start, it, according to Tom York, served as the inspiration for the opening track to In Rainbows, 15 Step. There is also a British nightclub that is named after this song. Now, this song has been used in numerous movies and series, including South Park, True Blood, 30 Rock, The Mighty Boosh, but its most notable inclusion was in the movie Lost in Translation.
3: Oh, Barzin, Barzin Andrew, Peaches, fuck the pain away. It is indeed, Peaches.
1: Damn!
3: Nice. Fuck the
1: pain away. Fuck the pain away.
3: Fuck the pain away. I did not know that was a live recording.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, from the first time the track was performed in uh, in a club or whatever. Fuck, that's huh. so sad. And when you listen back to it, you can kind of tell. It was recorded on, like, a cassette too. So, like, really, really cool. cool. That song fucking
0: bangs. Yeah. It's so it good. rules,
1: man. Fuck, yeah. love Peaches. Name a better opening line.
0: Sucking on my titties like you wanted me.
1: Yeah. And also, I love the fact that when Peaches was composing the song, because obviously, like... Being outwardly sexual and, you know, queering gender and and all things like that is something that Peaches was like entirely about and has been applauded and rightly so for being incredibly influential in that space in terms of music at that time as well. In particular, there's a really beautiful quote from Ellen Page um, for Peaches photography book saying that for a 16 year old gay person she offered me something that i could not find elsewhere a voice that said fuck shame fuck the male dominated perspectives of sex fuck gender stereotypes fuck not embracing your desires and fuck not owning yourself so that's like archetypally what peaches kind of stood for yeah. and you know brought that across in not only her music but in her work as a producer director visual artist performance artist and especially in her live shows which are apparently just like Off the fucking chain
0: Absolutely I can attest to that
1: Yeah Strap-ons And flashing genital lights And like Dances All kinds of crazy shit Multi-boobed costumes With like Barbie heads And yeah Like insane But like In composing this song And particularly with that opening line Peaches was like Wouldn't it just be fun If I could get people of like all genders to say, sucking on my titties. Yeah. <laughs> and like the amount of times that I was just walking around the house just saying that line earlier today, just like making toast. It's a hell of a line, man.
3: Yeah.
0: It's it's some good shit.
3: The song fucking rules. It is like obviously a brilliant piece of performative feminist queerness as a lot of Peaches work is. I haven't kept up with her entire output, but um, I do think that first proper record, The Teachers of Peaches, is a terrific fucking oh, record. So good. Yeah, she actually
1: was a teacher as well. Was she? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was a teacher. Huh. And yeah. she didn't actually start making music till she was in her early thirties. Well, like you know, deciding that she was going to be a musician, yeah, like as a as a as a career and as yeah. a thing. And I always love to see that, yeah.
0: Like Debbie Harry. Oh, really? Same same deal there. Yeah, yeah. So Debbie Harry was 29 when Blondie started.
1: Mm. That's fantastic. Same for James Murphy of LCD Soundsystem. Yeah, Sense. also true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, major one. Uh, not many people know that the bassline of this song is taken from Iron Maiden's "Rime of the Ancient Mariner." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Peaches is another interesting one as well in that she never gets into the Hottest 100 on her own. She only gets in once, uh, similar to the Flaming Lips. Oh, actually, exactly like the Flaming Lips, the only time she gets in is once as a collaborator in the 2003 countdown. And, and
1: both of those bands also share a link because they have Mache vaginas on stage.
0: It's true. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Both Peaches and Wayne Coyne are in their 50s and both horny as hell. So, you know, I pay that as well.
1: So I I really wanted to try and up D'Angelo on horniness and I I don't know whether I necessarily succeeded. I think he did,
0: just quietly. Yes. Fuck yeah.
1: It's certainly a much more chaotic horny.
0: (laughs) That is so true. That's exactly, yeah.
1: D'Angelo is lawful horny. This
0: is chaotic horny. At number 36, this is Cypress Hill with Rock superstar a lot of chameleons out there trying to change up anytime something new
3: comes along everybody wants a bite don't happen overnight
0: so you want to be a rock superstar and live large Hill coming in at number 36 in the 2000 Hottest 100. That is the song Rock Superstar. Let's give the people what they want. Andrew. David. Hey. Uh. <laughs> <laughs>
3: they did it. They did the thing.
0: Now, where do you stand on Rock Superstar?
3: Interestingly, man, like, um, because, like, there's pretty much two versions of this song: there's rap superstar and rock superstar. Yeah. And they were released as, as like, a double A side kind of thing. And, like, the flow and the beat is, like, exactly the same. It's just a different sample where they get, like, a rapper talking about fame, and in the rock one, it's a rocker talking about fame. A rapper.
1: A rapper. <laughs> it's fucking Eminem, man. Oh,
3: sorry, do you, I don't listen to so many white rappers, actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Teed him up. <laughs> uh,
3: but. The only, like, sonic difference between the two tracks is that this one has those huge guitars, which I think makes it a more obvious track to appear on a uh, Triple J. On
0: Triple J, yeah. Yeah,
3: like, it has crossover appeal, super zeitgeisty. There's
0: also a third version of this song, but uh, I'll talk about that when I get to it. Oh. Ooh. How could we possibly continue with that
1: tantalising morsel hanging in front of our faces, Dave? Tell me about Scar Superstar, David.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck me up. I would love that. <laughs> so in 2002 uh, we're topping and tailing with wrestling talk the WWF put out an album called forcible entry in which they got famous bands to do new versions of entrance music of wrestlers so disturbed did stone cold Steve Austin's theme song uh drowning pool did triple h's theme song there are a bunch of other bands in there. Uh, Monster Magnet did Matt Hardy's theme song, and he ended up using that theme song for the rest of his solo career. And Taz, Cypress Hill, did a new version of Rock Superstar where they reused the hook of the uh, X superstar song and uh, reused it for Taz's new theme song, Just Another Victim adding more guitar crunch, also adding in samples of Taz doing promos, commentators talking about what a menacing dude Taz is. It's some real gang shit. It's fucking dope.
3: Um, right, so there's a third, even beefier white guy version of this song, which is tight. <laughs> Honestly, this is like, considering we spoke about Papa Roach, which now seems like an eternity ago, the fact that this song also kind of has that same kind of zeitgeisty rock meets rap kind of aesthetic it's so so of its time but like i think this is kind of a jam like this fucking works for what it wants to do i think much better than a lot of other crossover the uh, rap rock does and i think that's partly because cypress hill are better rappers than all the other new metal bands are at Dude, rapping. this is
1: the thing right we've listened to so many non-rappers rapping that as soon as we get like a genuine rap song and you hear the flow on here i'm like oh my god this is yes this thank you thank you finally someone is rapping
3: that's the thing like with other kind of things with new metal it's, it's like they were a competent hard rock band who then had to adopt rapping which is more complex than what cypress hill did which was being competent rappers and then just easily adopting some heavy riffs
1: this is the thing that kind of rubs me the wrong way about the song because it's just like I you listen to rap superstar and I'm like that's fine <laughs> <laughs> Why did we need to do the rock version? And I really think that it was only because of the cultural pressure yeah. of new metal that we had to have this rock influence coming in on literally everything. And I kind of like, as someone who's into hip hop, I resent that. It's like, no, just keep it pure hip hop, man.
3: I fully, fully understand that. And I, I don't know if perhaps there was pressure for them to do this, or maybe they just thought to themselves as well, maybe just pressure from themselves, right? Yeah, right. We can have a crossover hit with this. And that's the thing, right? Like the rap superstar is fine. It gets the job done but this one has the more zeitgeisty crossover appeal, which is, I think, why it's here and rap's not. Yeah. Because there was videos made for both of them. They were both singles. It, I think it's bizarre that they
1: did two songs that are so similar. Well, that's it, right?
2: It's such a, like, really weird and interesting thing to do, to write a song and be like, oh, we can just change some of the words and add in some guitar and make it a rock counterpart to this thing. But both the songs are on the album. Like, that's so strange because they're so similar like the structure like the lyrics are different but like it's the same
1: song. The only lyric that really changes is them saying rock instead of rap. Like the verses are the same. There's just one extra verse in the rock version as opposed to the rap one. And the guests are different because we haven't mentioned that uh, instead of Eminem, we get Everlast.
2: Yeah. Black Jesus <laughs> himself. Friend of the show.
1: Speaking of not rappers. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I found that very funny. Um, also, the spoken word at the beginning is Chino Marino of Deftones. That is sick. Oh, is it? That's
3: so sick. Well, also, you see what the thing is here? The record that this was pulled from, Skull and Bones, the whole record itself only runs for 64 minutes, so it could fit onto a single disc, but it is divided into two discs, Disc Uh. 1, Skulls, which features 11... songs that are all straight hip-hop and then Bones only features six tracks which are all more new metal oh, yeah, Okay, uh, So this is the kind of approach they were going for with that and Rock Superstar is the last track on the second mm, disc.
1: Yeah it is yeah, split up a lot yeah. more on the album or whatever. Yeah that makes sense.
3: So it feels like it might be I think they just wrote this song Rap Superstar and then when they were like realizing that in composing the record they wanted to do hip-hop and then like funk metal rock they could just have a different version to close the The rock side. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's still, it's really interesting. I was going to say, do you guys know the story of um, In Search Of by N.E.R.D.? No. Okay, so NRD, obviously the Neptunes band, uh, Pharrell Williams and Chad Hugo, they made a whole record called In Search of. Originally, just put it out as kind of a demo, and like the demos leaked, and like they were showing label people, and they were just like, "Yeah, it's cool, but there's something missing." The guys kind of realized. What they were missing was this kind of energy, converting it over into having like a full band rock energy to the music. And so they redid the entire album. Pharrell literally learned how to play drums, and Chad started playing more guitar so they could turn In Search of into a rock record. So the versions of Rockstar. And of lap dance and and everything that you know from the first N.E.R.D. record. That's all the second take. That's all, like, not the original versions. So there was a lot of that happening at the time. There was a real vibe of taking that full band energy and converting it into what hip-hop acts were doing. That's what people were kind of pursuing at the time, merging those worlds together. It makes for really interesting listens, and this is obviously something that's been adapted long, long time now in terms of hip-hop acts having live bands when they tour. But uh, it was something that hip-hop acts were trying out in the studio as well around this time. That makes it better
1: for me, because it doesn't just make it seem like there was a subordination of hip-hop towards the rock genre at the time, mm. which is something that I resent, even though the riff is taken from Iron Maiden's Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> I love <laughs> Iron Maiden will write a song about literally anything. <laughs> um,
2: plus, this was in the uh, the soundtrack to Training Day.
0: Yeah.
1: It was not the only soundtrack it was a part of, either. Man. A little Adam Sandler film by the name of Little Nicky. Hell yeah. Oh, damn. So huh. Yeah. Some other notable inclusions include Deftones themselves with Change in the House of Flies, which I think... It's a bit fucking heavy for an Adam Sandler movie, but whatever. Um, and ready for this? Drum roll Take a picture by filter. <laughs>
0: huh. True story. Dude, I am rock hard right now. Yep. Call it there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Oh, all right. I see how it
1: is. Well, we just thought, you know, D- David needs some space. <laughs> <laughs> he has some needs right
3: now. The overall, I don't, I don't think it's a terrible track. I think it fucks harder than most new metal tracks. Because of, like, what I was saying before, that it was a rap band who were competent, more than competent rappers, just a- adding in some heavy riffs, which can be done easier than the, than the reverse of that kind of change. But, like, again, for what it was at its time, I think it's a fair bit of a bop.
1: Yeah, bobs. I don't know. I think the guitars, they still come across as unnecessary to me, and they may be kind of a bit too crashy.
3: Yeah, no, I do agree.
1: But, like, I can see the working, and you're right. Like, adding rock into hip-hop is definitely... More preferable than the alternative.
0: That brings us to the end of yet another episode of Hottest 100s and Thousands. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. We appreciate you. We hope that your life has been cut into a bunch of nice, neat little pieces. Too real. And you are living like a rock superstar. Uh, and that your taste in men has changed and that you are really getting into that that spiritual stuff before we get out of here we are going to pick our favorites our least favorites and continue that ever-continuing story of carry over champ and carry over chump Uh, my favorite this week i'm gonna go with last resort because i still have heaps and heaps of love for that song i have Uh, I have a little bit of love for every song that we talked about today. But, um, yeah, there's something about Last Resort that will always stick with me. Uh, Machismo, I will probably put that as my least favourite slash fifth favourite because it's still pretty good, but uh, it doesn't have the lasting impact of the other songs for me. However, my carryover champ and carryover chump remain intact. The throne remains safe.
3: None of these five really do much for me. My least favourite, I'm going to give it to Papa Roach Last Resort, but it's nowhere near as bad as my chump of Black Jesus. And my favourite, again, none of these songs are particularly stand out brilliant to me. So my, I guess my favourite of these five is Placebo Tasting Men, but it is a far, far cry from the champ that is Radiohead's everything in its right place.
2: Same, I think, yeah. Least favourite, Papa Roach, favourite Placebo. Because we can't vote for Peaches, I guess. Yeah, of course, yeah. My Champ and Chump will remain the same.
1: Yeah, look, I'm probably going to give it to uh, Ace's High by Iron Maiden. as my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> Failing that, I guess I'll go with uh, Taste in Men by Placebo. My least favourite is probably going to be Makismo because it's just kind of like, Eh. And I've got too much nostalgia for Last Resort. That's not, Mm. yeah, that's not happening. (laughs) My champ, everything Mm. in its right place remains. My chump, Black Jesus, also remains.
0: All right, folks, thank you again very much for tuning in and continuing to support this little bloody podcast. If you would like to stay in touch with the podcast you can like us over on facebook instagram and twitter we are at hottest 100s 100s and you can also join our discord the link to that is in the episode description so please come in join the family argue about songs Tell us what you're listening to. Get involved. It's a whole hoot and a holler, and it's a good, fun time. Really appreciate the support. We've really been enjoying seeing how the uh, best Hottest 100 number one of all time tournament has been going down. That has been incredibly eventful. In the meantime, on behalf of Mr. Nathan Harrison. Bye. On behalf of Mr. Adam Buncher.
1: Adam, insert uh, Iron Maiden's number of the beast scream here. And on behalf of Here we go, he's going to get a big rap here too Yes he is On behalf of the
3: mumbling dog shit Drunken of <laughs> the fucking group I no, take it back, come back <laughs> sick
0: Come back <laughs> And on behalf of Mr. Andrew McDonald
3: Good night
1: The handsome, incomparable, wonderful I feel bad now
3: Generous, good with tools My name
0: is Bruce Dickinson, aka Kobe Dick Everything is good for you